I don't think we're letting anything happen. I think we are the disruptor of the disruptors, like we talked about earlier. We are continuing to press forward in technology, in sleep, in health and wellness, uh, in retail experience, in differentiated product. Uh, there is no rest for this brand. Josh, Lisa, let, let's talk about disrupting things. Let's talk about disrupting the mattress industry. Let's talk about disrupting things that will make us all feel a little uncomfortable. According to the internet, multiple sources here, in business theory, industry disruption is when a product fits a new or emerging market segment and is not being served by existing incumbents in the industry. That's like a pretty good definition for it, but it was kind of interesting for me to read that and unpack it a little bit myself. And I wanted to dig in there. You know, for one, when you hear that definition, and I'm happy to repeat it if helpful, is that a fitting definition for what's been happening in the mattress world? You know, I'll start on that one and just say that I think, first of all, I'm surprised that that definition doesn't revolve around the consumer. Uh, and I think that's kind of a gap. If there's going to be true successful disruption, it's got to start with a consumer need and build from that. And if we think about the mattress category, I actually think the mattress disruption as it's labeled today fits more of that definition than an actual consumer definition. Uh, because I think those brands were looking at uh, an industry and a category that outside of our own brand was perhaps a little bit tired, pun intended, and a mattress selling experience in a store that was a little bit equivalent to going to the dentist. Uh, nobody really wanted to do it. Uh, they thought they were going to be sold a bunch of different beds. Mm -hmm. uh, they thought the salesman was in it for themselves versus in it for the consumer. Uh, and so I think the disruptors, as they're labeled, uh, were focused on trying to disrupt that part of the industry. And, 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 and that part of the industry meaning understanding what the consumer preference or experience should be like and trying to play to them more so than maybe the, some of the older players have been doing? Yeah, understanding that there wasn't a, a perfect solution for buying a mattress. It was not mm. an easy thing to go do. It was not an enjoyable thing to go do. Could they make it more convenient and easy? And so they focused really on convenience. Mm. Yeah, I would add uh, mattress industry is low interest. So to see a disruptors come into the market was kind of interesting for us to kind of watch it unfold. Um, but Josh is right. I mean, they found a consumer need or an interest that they wanted a convenient. They wanted a convenient shopping experience for something like a mattress. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that's what they leaned into. Um, and so that that's how they kind of came in and disrupted. And that's why, you know, it's a commodity type product that can come in and disrupt this industry that's been around forever. So that's been kind of an interesting process to watch. You know, six years ago, Sleep Number uh, entered into the Consumer Electronics Show. And um, we did that, so CES, which happens in every January, we did that because we wanted to be considered an innovator. And we, th these are, we wanted to show that we have um, new product innovation coming out on a regular basis and how that fits into the kind of overarching, the key big, big innovators out there, the car, car industry and things like that. And so we really launched the sleep tech segment at CES. Mm -hmm. There was, when we first got there six years ago, we were placed in the back corner with the e-cigarettes. That's so interesting. And we had the small little booth and we were just like, what, what is, who is sleep number and what are they doing here? And, and since then, there's a whole group of sleep tech companies coming in and, and trying to talk about quality sleep and what their product does. And I think sleep number is considered the leader there still because of our entrance into the, con the consumer 
dialogue around our innovations. What was the category that they grouped sleep number with e-cigarettes? Was what, what was like the grouping at CES? That's a good question. I I remember being back there and thinking, what there wasn't there wasn't a group. So we had Got been it. we were considered a mattress. You know, we yeah. were kind of put in with the mattress category. And there were other mattress competitors out there. So I think Mattress Firm was there, you know, one of our other competitors. And so they had their mattresses out there. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't know what to do with us. And so we kind of set that bar and our experience at CES really talked about our technology. And we've launched several products since then um, there and introduced kind of new technology. So it's been, it's been, it's really kind of, I think, catapulted us in the media's mind as the innovator in sleep tech. Are there key moments or things that you feel like you guys as individuals or the company has done to kind of incrementally disrupt? You know, uh, I think one of our biggest challenges is that the consumer, when we ask them, you know, why they're not sleeping well, they, they list everything else but the mattress. And so when we can just break through and say the mattress matters, and then, but it's not just the mattress because anybody can come in and say, I have a better mousetrap when it comes to the mattress. I think what Sleep Number's done well is that we've not only taken an incredible, you know, low interest category of a mattress, but we've added the technology to help you be able to change your behavior. And I think for us that, you know, it's been, it's been important and what's made us different than most is that you can go and understand how you slept. I slept eight hours last night, but what you can't do is you can't understand what I can do if I didn't sleep eight hours or mm. I did I had a bad night's sleep. What are the things and that's where the sleep number bed can help you do that because you can track and monitor that in a very you just lay down and go to sleep, right? And so I think that's what gives us that advantage is we can help you improve your sleep, not just, mm-hmm. you know, give you the a, a place to lay your head every night. And right. I think and, that's yeah. critical. And even as some of the newcomers came into the industry they weren't in that position. They didn't have that data, or if they had some elements of it, it certainly wasn't as mature and, and useful as what Sleep Number was offering. When I first started at Sleep Number, we talked earlier about consumer electronics being part of that and technology being a part of that, and that's for sure true. Uh, what also was interesting to me was to be with a a brand end-to-end, and that was not an experience I'd had, and, and Lisa had had with Nordic Track as an example. And so here we both, Lisa and I enter a category in the direct-to-consumer space. My background was in digital, hers was in a, in a direct-to-consumer brand. Uh, but I think one of the things we found very interesting early on is I remember a, a great conversation we had uh, in her office where I was uh, whiteboarding. Uh, surprise, surprise, right, Lisa? Exactly. Uh, but we were whiteboarding the, the category flow from a marketing perspective. And so now we can kind of jump into marketing a little bit. But we were talking about how at the time a Casper uh, was applying very specific uh, disruptor style guerrilla marketing digitally, mm-hmm. and they were they were really focused just in the digital space. Uh, and we were thinking about the fact that they can measure that all the way through the digital marketing to their site to an outcome, and that outcome would be, you know, card and checkout uh, mm-hmm. on Casper.com. And we thought about how potentially disruptive that was to us because uh, when I had first started, it was... Negatively disruptive? 
for September? Yes. Because uh, uh, when I had first started, I was working in the um, digital and e-commerce space and, and not in media like I am today. Uh, but our conversation was about, okay, here we are doing the same thing, spending a fair amount in digital, driving digital traffic, caring a lot about um, improving the traffic to the website and caring a lot about what happens on the website. But our main goal was not e-commerce. It was to drive that visitor mm -hmm. into stores. Mm -hmm. And that's where we lost visibility to did they actually make it or not. And so we didn't have an end-to-end -end measurement solution in place. And so it was a, a potential competitive weakness for us against a disruptor brand. Uh, but then we flipped it on its head mm -hmm. and thought about, okay, well, what about a brand like Tempur-Pedic? And we realized as we were kind of whiteboarding that day that this was a huge competitive advantage for us versus Tempur-Pedic because Tempur-Pedic is a brand, uh, but you know, other than a handful of stores, not really a retailer. And we as a vertically integrated direct-to-consumer brand had all of the information available to us of who visited our site, what might've brought them there, what they learned about on that site, and then a store visit and purchase, we just needed to connect the dots. And that was an important kind of reframing for us where it was like, mm -hmm. oh, this is a competitive advantage for us. This is a disruptive moment. This is something we can do, yes. to your point, right? This is something we can do. And, and that's where Ovative comes into the conversation as well, because then it was about uh, you guys as a measurement agency really having started figuring out how to measure online to offline impact. And we as a brand really realizing we needed that uh, competitive insight. We had all the data, it was just disparate and it was spread across multiple sources and we needed to connect the dots. And that's where you stepped in to really help us connect those dots. And now look at a brand like Casper, who is now broadly distributed in other retailers like mm -hmm. Target, mm -hmm. uh, is no longer just a digital e-commerce play. It's a much broader thing than that. Their marketing has followed suit with ours. They have copied us and started to do a fair amount of direct mail uh, and other things, including television advertising from time to time. And spending obscene amounts of money. And I spending obscene amounts of money. And we look at them and they can't connect all of the dots. And we now have a comparative advantage against them as well. Yeah, it's, it's gone total 180 there, I guess, in that sense, right? Where you obviously can match the e-com side of things and understanding consumer behavior on the e-com side, although I know that's a smaller part of Sleep Number's business, but the ability now to connect to the offline sales and not just the offline sales, but from our work together, the different types of customers and segments and how they're behaving across these different shopping and marketing channels is, I, you, you know, I agree, is, is, is very disruptive, whether Ovative was a part of that or not. I think it's super disruptive and will continue to be a, uh, an advantage that pays dividends. Lisa, I remember sitting with you, you in very Lisa Bailey fashion, sort of like getting a little closer, looking at me at Good Day Cafe, our spot at that time, if you remember, and saying, Brandon, they're bouncing and I have no fucking idea where they're going. And I think you had just came out of some sort of set of meetings that was a little frustrating. Are there additional actions or education, things that you've done internally to help get buy-in on these enterprise metrics, on understanding the enterprise value of your marketing or site, you know, site investments? You know, I think Josh and I have learned this together longer than a year and a half was you know, we were really focused on just volume of traffic for a long time. Mm -hmm. We thought, hey, just get into the website. Mm -hmm. 
And we've really obviously evolved to say we, we when we get them to the website, we want them to go deeper into our brand and understand us because that's their first experience with you us. You want to know right? what the fuck they're doing next, right? <laughs> exactly. We don't want them to bounce. <laughs> and we were. We were just driving website and we didn't, they were freaking bouncing. Yeah. So I'm not going to use the wet F word here. <laughs> I kind of did. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But that's that's been an evolution for both of us. Is and and it, the different media types obviously send a different quality of traffic, and we want to make sure that that mix is right, because um, we can drive traffic all day long. But if it's not good quality traffic, it's just it's a waste. It's a waste for our brand, and and so that's been our evolution as yeah. a as a as a whole as a team collectively, Josh and I. And I think if you look at our mix of who comes to our website today. It's you know it's it's completely different than it was two years ago, and it's much higher quality, and it and awesome. it just it just makes our business flow so much better for us, and we can be more predictive. Yeah, and, and in those inevitable downtimes or when things are less explainable, your base of traffic, your your base of customers is just more defendable. It's more solid, right? It's more durable, if you will. One of the things that I think all three of us agree on is that analytics can be sexy. Oh yeah. Yeah, I know you you're into it. it. Yeah, yeah. Lisa, you're into it too? Absolutely. I knew it. And, you know, I think to to somebody like the Ovative group, I think sleep number is incredibly sexy. And part of the reason for that is that if you take a, you were talking about like, you know, the number of SKUs we have and the tr transactional volume we have. And there's a pretty interesting discussion I think that Lisa's hitting on here, which is sleep number cares about really helping a customer qualify themselves that this is the right brand for them. We know that it is. We know that they cannot sleep any better than on this product, but our job is to really help them understand that and learn that. And not everyone is, right? And Much not, like any brand. And not everybody is. And I think about, like, to go back to disruption for a second, Jeff Bezos once famously said, I'm not interested in making as much money on every transaction that I can. I'm just interested in more transactions, right? And that you can see how that goes back to the previous conversation we had about logistics and scale and speed and a widgets, a widgets, a widget to them. You know, we're on a different end of that spectrum, which is very different. You know, there's a there is a niche here for an amazing product that delivers high quality sleep and more customers just need to learn that. And so everything we've been doing from an analytics perspective that's super sexy in our mind is we just need more qualified customers to understand this need, visit our stores and ultimately lay on this bed. And once they do, we know that they're hooked and they're going to buy this product. And so it's a limited number of transactions, but a high quality sleep experience, that's the outcome we're trying to drive. And all of our analytics is kind of powered around that. We don't need a lot more transactions. We need high quality transactions with consumers no that doubt. care about sleep. Violent agreement, as you know, Josh, and you started that with everything you just said. I will say as kind of the analytics guy, baby, it would be nice sometimes to have a little more volume <laughs> and totally get from a margin and success of the business perspective, that is not as necessary. But from an analytics perspective, you know, there's a blessing and a curse there, but no one has it perfect, right? Yeah, let's let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. You know, I've often thought about, you know, how could, how would a target, let's say, replicate the model that we've built around understanding 
highly qualified digital traffic uh, and highly qualified purchasing in the store. And I think volume would certainly be to their advantage in that regard. Uh, but I think what's to their disadvantage is also volume because analytics can yeah, lead to paralysis, yeah. right? And so if we think about if we think about analytics, like they've got to sift through the high volume of transactions that they have and weed out um, the randomness of some of that to really understand intent. And you know, while we do maybe suffer from having a really high volume of data to build that compelling story, the data that we do have is super compelling in itself because there is very specific intent from the consumer. You can get from data to intent very quickly, where I think some of those mass merchants really struggle with that. I totally agree with what you're saying. I actually thought you were going to go a different direction around while the volume is less for a higher price point, higher margin category. If someone is saying they like it or they are qualified, it's pretty objective, right? You know it, right? There's no there's no nuance there where at, at you know, lower price point impulse buys or just more frequent purchasing categories, you don't know what you're getting in every customer. You don't know if they're going to be a good repeat customer just yet. You have models, right, and analytics to help compensate for that need in that world. And we have models like we've worked on together and, and analytics that we work on to sort of compensate for the volume question. But there is a niceness to objectively knowing if someone is going in store and we they engaged in your marketing, then they went in store and they had an interaction with a store associate, that's a qualified potential customer, right? And it's it, it would be hard for a target or you know, pick your larger, whether mass or even especially retailer to, to match that. There are now roughly 175 bed-in-a-box companies in business. Fact or fiction? Fact. Fact. What made you believe that it was that high? Because that obviously is a large number of companies. Yeah, I think we covered it earlier a little bit. It's that, you know, um, the disruptors uh, are coming in with commoditized Product and so it's easy to get into the market, uh, and so we've it's been as high as I think two was it over two hundred over two hundred and it's kind of shrunk to the one seventies, um, and we're gonna I I our guess is that it'll shrink a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, and the you know the the top disruptors will obviously rise to the top, but yeah that's that's the number we're playing against for sure. There's a large number of companies, <laughs> and to build on that for a second, one of the things we talk about is that. While most of those 175 brands don't have retail stores, i.e. competitive advantage for us, uh, they all do have websites. And so as we think about our digital media tactics in particular, we know we are competing against them. As we zero in on how to do that, it's really the top five that matter. Uh, The rest, we believe, will be, you know, gone mm-hmm. uh, in a short amount of time. There'll be some mattress consolidation happening. Because uh, remember, we talked about it's an easy category to enter. Yeah, totally. uh, but I think it's a challenging category to stick around. Yeah. And our brand has been around since 1987, so we have no intention of going anywhere. But when we compete with these guys, we are competing in the digital space, first and foremost, to capture that attention. We know that if we can um, get that visit to our website and explain the differentiation and amazing sleep number bed to them that the store visit is the next likely outcome and the purchase and considera- consideration with our brand and purchase is the, the following outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if that disruptor is able to acquire them through a search 
uh, keyword and uh, get them to their brand and sell them on convenience, then maybe we've lost that customer for a decade. And so we fight tooth and nail to not let that happen to those poor consumers to make sure that they end up with quality sleep and make end up with our brand. Knowing that there's a lot of muddiness that's going to happen throughout this kind of time period in industry, meaning you have all you know, this volume, I actually don't know if it's high or low relative to other sectors, but let's call it, it's a lot of different companies. We can all be pretty sure that it's going to play out where there's like a top five or top three, right, over time, but it could take a few years or longer. Is there a argument strategically to say, as an incumbent, as a sleep number or pick your incumbent, to say, let's just let it play out a little bit. Let's trust the trends and know that this has got to happen. And let's focus on killing it with our existing loyal customers as much as possible. Is that a viable way of thinking about things? Or do you feel like you would lose too much market share and the acquisition play is still is still super important? I don't think we're letting anything happen. I think we are the disruptor of the disruptors. Like we talked about earlier, we are continuing to press forward in technology, in sleep, in health and wellness, uh, in retail experience, in differentiated product. Uh, there is no rest for this brand and we are disrupting them. So we keep m marching forward and improving our experience and that will be the way this innovative company ultimately succeeds and continues to succeed. So whether it's existing or new customers or whatever the segment, all those things are going to benefit regardless of your audience. Those are the things that need to be done. That's right. Yeah, it would be arrogant of us to, as a brand to sit and think we can just let it ride out because, you know, they have smart people working there too. So for we sure. just have to make sure that we're constantly looking for the new way in and, and always pivoting or else, yeah. you know, it'll, it'll, it'll sneak up on you for sure if we yeah. don't. But we see, I mean, you see it in the mattress space, right? It's sneaking up on other incumbents and other new entrants, right? And it snuck up on Blockbuster, stuck up on Folgers. Exactly. Yeah, if we think about the brands and or retailers that have suffered from some of that disruption, you know, Lisa mentioned some of them earlier, Sears, Toys R Us come to mind, JCPenney currently comes to mind, you know, the, the reality is that they probably did expect the trend to pass and did expect uh, change to subside and did expect that consumers would return. And we used to talk at Best Buy all the time about Sears. The theory we had was that they had lost a generation of consumers mm. and they were able to survive losing a generation of consumers as long as they could pick up the next one. And once they lost that second generation in a row, they were done. And so resting and sitting and waiting for those trends to change um, might be a very, very difficult thing to go do. Only one more question for you, but I'm happy to riff all day, just to be clear. Only one more planned question I have that's top of mind. Looking ahead a little bit, and I'm gonna get a little more specific here than usual. For those leaders, individuals, in the midst of being disrupted and trying to continue to push forward and innovate and get others around them to adopt the kind of data-driven, thoughtful approach that we talked a lot about today, any advice you have for them? Anything that you would say, this is the nugget of wisdom that has made the biggest difference for me or us? I mean, my answer would be, listen to the customers, the consumer, because if you, just like the disruption in this category, they had an insight, you know, that the mattress shopping experience was not fun, and it was stressful and all those things. And they had an insight and they went with it and they built a whole disruption in an industry around it. Uh, and I think that's going to be critical for any retailer or any, 
you know, in, online or a, a bricks and mortar to just listen to the customer and find those insights that'll help you pivot your company and your offering to what's important to the this generation or the coming generations would be my two cents anyway. I have to 100% agree with Lisa, in part because she is my boss, in part because I fundamentally agree uh, that it is about... It's nice that those two things align here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Review uh, time's coming up, too. That's right, that's right. Yeah. You know, I think that the... I like to say that if you follow the customer, you may not be fully right, but you will never be wrong. And I think in the world of data and analytics that we've been talking about this morning, in the world of retail... In the, in the category of mattresses, that is a universal truth that applies to any business. And part of what I love about being a direct-to-consumer brand, fully vertically integrated all the way through, is that it gives us a lot in of... At, in our control. There's a lot of at-bats for us to really listen and really understand what that consumer wants and needs. And as long as we follow through on that, we will continue to disrupt and continue yeah. to be an innovator ourselves. And that would be my advice to any brand, retailer, or other industry segment that's listening today is to really think about that. And you won't be wrong. Uh, you may not be exactly right. You may never know if you're exactly right, but you won't be wrong. Yeah, I mean, to your point, even if you take a step based on consumer feedback and, and listening to them, and it's not right, you don't nail it. It's still a step forward, right? And I think we've all learned that lesson a lot of times. Well, thank you both so much for coming in today, joining us at the Early Morning Rift studio, having your soda waters and not really having any snacks so that we can eat them later. But thank you, uh, thank you, Josh. Thank you, Lisa. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. It's been, been a riot. Been fun. Thanks so much, Brandon. <laughs>